Please take your Bibles and turn back to 1 Peter. Actually, we're going to actually, I'm going to change that. Turn to Acts chapter 11. We're going to end up in 1 Peter. Are you a Christian? Let me ask it to you another way. Would anyone who knows you call you a Christian? I think you'll agree that there are few words in the English language that carry as much baggage as Christian. It is truly a loaded label. What's interesting is, as you read Scripture, is that Jesus never gave a name to his followers. In fact, the early church never called themselves Christians. In the New Testament, the title most often given to followers of Jesus is disciples. By far, that is what they refer to themselves as. 268 times in the Bible, Christ's followers are called disciples. Second is saints, 60 times. Believers, 13 times. But can you believe it? Christian is only used three times in the entire Bible, although we predominantly use that term, especially in a wider culture today, it is the least used title or identity marker that the scriptures has. In fact, 99% of all the identity of Christians that are marked off in the Bible do not have the word Christian with them. That's only 1%. The label Christian is only used three times. I mentioned twice in Acts. And once in the First Peter chapter 4 text that I read just a few minutes ago, an early church uh, were first called Christians, not by themselves, but as we read in Acts chapter 11 and verse 26, they were called that by outsiders in their culture in a town called Antioch. See, the name came as a result of watching Paul and Barnabas and the early church that was planted in Antioch that would later become the headquarters of global outreach for the early church, is in that place, after a year, the Bible says that unsaved people looking at Christians who were disciples called them Christians. See, Christian in the New Testament is not a term describing someone who just became a new convert. No, it says they called the disciples Christians. See, Christian was not something that you just believed. It wasn't just a new set of facts about God. It was something you behaved because it was what they called disciples, people who knew Jesus, people who were living out the truth. And when they saw how they lived out the truth, here's what the name was, Christian. But ask yourself the question, why? Why a new name for this group of Jesus followers? Why from the perspective of outsiders. Why didn't they just lump them together with all the other different sects of Judaism? And there are lots of different sects of Judaism rising at the time, lots of them. Why didn't they just lump them in with all of those? And here's the answer. Because unsaved people in Antioch, looking at how Christians live their lives, had to come up with a new category. They had to come up with something new because what they were watching and how these people lived their lives and the relationships that they had inside their community was unheard of. It was necessary 
For them to call them something. And they called them Christian, little Christ, because these people defied the normal categories and labels that they were familiar with in their own society. So we have to ask ourselves, don't we, this morning? Are we living up to our name? And it's not the name we give ourselves. It's the name that they gave us, Christian. Does our city in Hamilton and Trenton and all the surrounding suburbs and areas, does our city, does our world see us as people that don't fit into any normal categories? Are we people who just believe something different or do we behave something different? You remember on TV, I think you'd have to be my age probably, do you remember Columbo? Do you remember him? You know, he's the, he's the detective, right? And he would always go around. He's so slow. And he, let's play detective a little bit this morning. Let's be Columbo's. So here's my question. So with all that I just said in mind, why did Peter choose Christian to identify people in his community? And why did he use that word at this point in his epistle? And here's why that question is important. Ready? Because two times in Acts... Christian is used. Both of them have to do with the Apostle Paul. None of them have to do with Peter. And you would think, because Paul was in both places when the term Christian was used, that you'd think Paul would be the one who used it in his epistles. But let me give you some news. He never once uses it. He wrote half the New Testament, 13 epistles. He never has the word Christian come out of his right mouth onto paper. Peter, who wasn't at either one of those times in the book of Acts, he uses it. In fact, he's the only New Testament writer outside of Acts that uses it. Why? Why? Well, let me give you three quick answers. Number one, historically, Acts 11, the one we're reading right now, took place in about 43 A.D. Acts 28, the second use of Christian at the end of the book of Acts, took place about 19 years later in A.D. 62, and then 1 Peter, when he wrote it, was AD 63. And here's what that means. It means between the first time they used Christian and the time that Peter writes in his epistle, 20 years have passed. So you know what it means? More and more people looking in at Christianity are seeing them as different. It's becoming more and more popular on a local level, but we're not done because when we get to Acts chapter 26, the second time it's used, it's said that it was before Agrippa, who was in Caesarea. So here's how it happens. The first is in Antioch, Jerusalem, Caesarea, Antioch, all right next to each other. But the last one, 1 Peter, the geography one, see this little area? It's this whole area of the world up here. And here's what's true. Christian is becoming not a local term for outsiders to call us, but everyone in the world is doing it. It's starting to be everyone else. It's spreading. We would say today, Social media, it's gone viral. Christian has gone viral. So you know what Peter does? He takes up a term that is used by outsiders to talk about Christians that has been going on for the last 20 years. And he says, this is how the world sees us. We better live up to it. So Peter, in his epistle, and we've seen them, he has all kinds of identity markers that describe Christians, and I'll list some of them. We are the elect, we are chosen, we are strangers, we are exiles, we are sojourners, royal priesthood, a people for his own possession, beloved ones. And now in the middle of all those identity markers, here's what he calls us, Christians. Christians. Remember what we've said all throughout this series? Here's our principle. 
Who you are shapes what you do. Who you are shapes what you do. And Peter wants his readers, and he wants you and I to get this. You know who you are? You are a Christian. You are a little Christ. And when people look at your individual life and they look into our community at Faith Baptist Church, you know what they ought to see? That your identity is different than theirs. And therefore, your life is different than theirs. Because being a Christian means that you will live a counter-cultural lifestyle. So let's do this this morning in our time left. Let's take these three texts, the two in Acts and one in 1 Peter, and let's unpack what it means to be a counter-cultural Christian for the sake of the mission that we're on. So let's look at them. Acts 11, if you would, in verse 26. Acts 11 and verse 26. Let me read the context. We'll start in verse number 24. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, speaking of Barnabas, and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples, underline it, were first called Christians. If you know anything about the book of Acts, it's divided into three segments. And you get the three segments of the vision from Acts 1.8. And Jesus told them that you're to go into all the world. He says, and you're going to be witnesses unto me where? In Judea, Acts 1-7. through In Samaria, Acts 8. And to the uttermost parts of the ends of the earth, Acts 9-28. through Now where does our text fall into? Acts 11. It's in the last part. It's the gospel starting to move away from Jerusalem, Judea, and the areas locally, and it's starting to spread out through the world. And so people, once they see Christians, see believers, they have to come up with a category for them. And you know what it is? They are different. They are Christians. Now, it started in a town called Antioch. The phrase that ancient writers used to describe lifestyles in Antioch was this, all the world in one city. We would say Antioch was the ancient New York City. When you went into Antioch, it was a very large city. All kinds of people were there. And it was, according to the ruins that they've dug up, that it was a city like all the other large cities. It was a large city encased by a large circular wall. If you went inside the city, right down the middle, we have Main Street, they had Cardia. It's the word for heart. It was the center, the heart of their town, and the main markets and the Agora and all the things were right down the center. But in like every other city and even some of our cities today, the walls were built in such a way that it cordoned off and made divisions between people groups. So like in Jerusalem today, if you go over there, there's the Jewish quarter, and there's the Muslim quarter, and there's the Palestinian, and it's all divided. It's one city, one big wall, but inside, everyone knows what part of the city they're from. They know, and then, see, the gospel comes to Antioch. And there's a church growing in Antioch. And after one year, the gospel is changing all that. Ethnic walls are being brought down. In verse 20 of this text, it says, Many Hellenists became Christians. Hellenists are Greek-speaking Jews that didn't grow up in Israel. So they didn't speak Hebrew. They speak like everybody else in the world. They spoke Greek. So now you got cosmopolitan. 
cosmopolitan Jews getting saved. And now he says two times, verses 24 and 26, a great many were added to the Lord. So you got Greek Jews, Hebrew Jews, and you have all these Gentiles all in the city getting saved. Now imagine this. They've never seen this before. You don't go into the other quarter of the city. You don't have relationships with someone who isn't the same color as you or language as you, and they don't believe the same way you do. They don't have the same status as you. See, rich people don't hang out with poor people. Free people don't hang around with slaves. See, black and white people, they didn't go together. See, and now in this city, though, it is becoming different. This is a church where everyone is welcomed. And it didn't matter who you are or where are you from. See, all parts of the city are all starting to come together, Jews and Gentiles. They're suddenly coming together, and they're redefining what community is. It is racially unprecedented that anything like that in the first, world, first century world had ever happened. So much so that the people of Antioch are so surprised they don't have a category for people who forget about the differences. And they have to come up with this. They have to come up with the word Christian because you know what it means? And I'll tell you, are you a Christian? You know what a Christian is? It's someone who welcomes in people who aren't like them. Christian means that you're okay with people who don't look like you and have the same color skin that you have or the background that you have or the same social status you have. And see, that's what God blesses because in this text, It says, and the hand of the Lord was on them, and he added to the church. Four times in Acts, the phrase, the Lord added to the church. You know why? Because this is his story. This is his story, bringing all kinds of people together in one place through Jesus Christ when they are so radically different. This is what it's about. And every time in the book of Acts, the church grows, it's because of this. When I was growing up, My sisters will remember, in our house, we had a little corner of a wall that when you started to grow as a kid, my dad would say, okay, get your, you know, back up your little wall. He had this pencil, and he'd put it on there, and then this is how tall you were, and then he'd put your initials and the date on there, and you could see over time, right? Oh, this is where I was in first grade, and then then fourth grade, and then sixth grade. Why? Because that's how you measure growth. You know how God measures growth? Not just getting new people but all kinds of people. You see, God has been doing that at Faith Baptist Church, hasn't he? Let me see. Look around right now. Look around. You see this? This is the hand of the Lord upon us. See, we don't just have people coming to our church, new people. We do, but we have all kinds of people coming. to church. It's no accident that at Faith Baptist Church, we have 22 nationalities in our church family. See, the Lord is blessing us, and he's adding to us, but he's adding all kinds of people. Why? Because this is the story of the gospel. It's not just getting people converted so they don't go to hell and they go to heaven. That is awesome part of it, but it's all kinds of people. Read Revelation 5, 9, and 7, 9, because someday before the throne of God, there'll be someone from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. See, we are just practicing for eternity this morning, and God has blessed Faith Baptist Church with that. See, we are an alternative society. Why does it matter, Pastor Walker, that God puts together all kinds of people? Can I tell you, here's why it matters. Because you cannot be countercultural out there if you are not countercultural first in here. 
See, we have to have what they don't. See, out there, it's about race. And here, it's about grace. Out there, <coughs> out there, culture first. And here, Christ first. Out there, you know what matters? Who you are. And what matters in here? Whose you are. See, in here, it's a out there, I should say, is a cancel culture. A, a cancel culture in here is a Christ culture. Because being Christian, a true Christian, is welcoming and accepting people through Jesus Christ who are far and often radically different than you are. See, that's what it means to be a Christian. That's why they were called that. But not only racially countercultural, but number two, personally countercultural. You know, Apostle Paul gave his testimony three different times in the book of Acts. Acts 9, Acts 22, and Acts 26. And you can read them, and they are in many ways very similar. Um, they have, if you read them closely, you also know there are a few differences that he adds or subtracts some things depending on what purpose he's using it for. But here is one constant. There is one thing that remains the same every time the Apostle Paul uses his personal testimony about how he got saved. And it was this, that he was personally and completely and totally changed. He went from 100% against Jesus to being 100% for Jesus. You know, not too long ago in our service, we had cardboard testimonies where people at the close of our service held up what they were and then they flipped it over and told you what Jesus has done to change them. It was moving. Talk to John Mark Gutterson and the way that God has changed his life after being in our church for 40 years and he finally comes to know the Lord. Ask Brian Dalton, who's in my small group, about having been addicted to, to uh alcohol and drugs and being homeless and how Jesus Christ has radically, radically changed his life. See, Paul is standing before, if you'll turn there in Acts chapter 26, as Paul is there for the second use of the word Christian, he's standing before King Agrippa. And he's going to give a defense. That's his word. Notice how that phrase brackets our text. Verse 1 and verse 2 have the word defense in it. And then you look down the page a little bit to verse 24. It also has the word defense. Let me show you. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his circle defense. Verse 2, I consider myself fortunate that before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today. And the same word again is used in verse 24. And it's the word we get apologetics from. He is defending his faith. He is standing before the king and he's going to tell them, you have me in chains and I'm in prison. And I want to tell you why. Why I believe what I do to the point where I'd accept going to prison and risking my life. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you how he changed my life. Now this is no small thing. Ready? He's standing before King Agrippa, Herod Agrippa. This is King Agrippa II. His father, Herod Agrippa I, is the Herod who was king in Acts 12, who took James, one of the sons of thunder, brother to John, and put him in prison and had his head cut off. The same Herod Agrippa, who also arrested Peter, and if it wasn't for the miraculous intervention of God with angels opening the door and freeing him, he also would have been killed. This is his son that Paul stands before. 
Paul is witnessing and giving a defense for his faith, perhaps not knowing if it will cost him his life. And so what he does is give you and I a little lesson on apologetics 101. How do you defend your faith? But I can tell you this. Look at the text. He uses 23 verses to talk about how his life was changed and six verses to talk about what he says the gospel's about. See that? 23 about how it changed me, six about what it means. Because you know how you change people's lives? It's not one or the other. It's not either or. It's both. See, apologetics, defending your faith, is not just when you're at work and someone says, oh, do you believe in this or you believe in that, and you stand up for your... No, it's a lip apologetics backed up by a life apologetics. German philosopher, atheist, Heinrich Heinz said this, show me your redeemed life and I might think about believing in your redeemer. You know what he wanted? He wanted to see, hey, don't try to sell Jesus to me unless it works for you. See, here's what Christians are, people who are changed. See, change in how they view others, but change personally in their lives. See, people ought to see in us the change that we offer to them. They ought to see the difference it makes in our lives. Now, Festus, who was also sitting next to King Agrippa in this Acts 26 text, is sitting there, and he's listening to Paul. Listen to this. Have you ever gone through this? It says, Paul's life is so countercultural. It is so different. It is so radically unique. Here's what he says to him. Look at Acts 26, 24. He says, Paul, I think you've learned so much that you are out of your mind. Let me tell you what we would say today. Paul, you are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Paul, you are a lunatic. You are insane. In fact, the Greek word is you are a maniac. You have lost it, boy. You need to sit down. We would say today, oh, have you ever heard this? All oh, those crazy Christians. <laughs> crazy Christians. Ever been called that? When I was a kid, I had a job during the summer, and they asked me about my religion, and they said, how often do you go to church? I go three times a week. What? We go three times a year. You go three times a week? Yes. We give 10% to God. You've got to be kidding me. Now, we don't do this, and we don't do, and we do this. Oh, and we follow the Bible, and you believe it's true? Yes, absolutely. We believe it's inspired, in fact. But can I tell you this? That's not what Paul's talking about. Hear me. Paul's life is not measured, and, and, and Festus doesn't think he's crazy because he goes to worship some god. Everybody in the Roman Empire did that. And to support it with money. And, no, no, none of those things were unique. You know what? Paul was a crazy Christian. You know why? It wasn't a religious crazy. It was a radical crazy. You remember, he's standing before a guy that can end his life, and he's standing there in chains, and he hasn't backed down. He says, listen, I'm living this life, and I've been risking my life for decades now, and this is who I am. King Agrippa, listening to the exchange... As an outsider, looks at Paul's life and listens to him talk and sees what he's all about. And it's so countercultural to him in verse 26, I mean 28, if you look there, 26, 28. He says to Paul, in a short time, you would persuade me to be a, here's our term, Christian? You think that you can come in here in chains 
and think that here's an outsider talking, that I, I know what Christians are. I look at your, I know what it is now. You think I'm sitting on this throne and I have power, money, authority. You think that in one conversation with me, you're going to talk me out of having all this and have what you have? Here's what we would say today. Look at me and look at you. I'm up here free in money and power. You're down there with chains and nothing. And you think that you can tell me a story about your life and I'm going to give up all that and change? And Paul would say, yes, because it's what he did. He tells the story about how he was a Pharisee and he had raised, risen to these ranks and he had all this going from him. But the day on the Damascus Road that he met Jesus, listen, it all changed. And so the Apostle Paul would put it this way as he writes later in Philippians 3, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord and whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them as rubbish that I may win Christ. Yes, he would say. Yes, except for these change. Here's what the gospel is. See, you have to be radically changed just like I was, Agrippa. That's the gospel. See, you have to say this. You have to have the new crazy. Paul would say this. Following Jesus seems crazy to you, but it's the most normal, sane thing that you could ever do. Oh, would to God. Would to God that he'd give us some more crazy Christians. Crazy little Christs, crazy lives of devotion to Jesus, crazy risks for the sake of the gospel, crazy people who love the lost at any expense, crazy generous with their money toward things that can impact people for eternity, crazy hard workers at their job and where they're employed so people can see it and how you work even though you may not say a word, crazy kind to their neighbors, getting into their life, knowing their names, helping them see crazy Christians, see that. That's what the world is about. That's what Christian means. To live such a countercultural life that people think that you're out of your mind. And we are for Jesus. So being a Christian in the Bible means that you will be racially countercultural, you'll be personally countercultural. And that leads me to 1 Peter 4 as we close, if you'll turn there. The third use of Christian. Now we have the background. Now we have the understanding. The first insider, the only insider that we know of, see Acts, the two passages, lost people looking in say this is what Christians are like. Peter, after 20 years, knows exactly what culture is saying and he's going to add to it. He's going to sit, the only person in the New Testament as an insider who calls Christ's followers this very thing Verse 14 reads of 1 Peter 4. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But, now notice the structure because it is key to what he wants us to think. It's not this, but this. He does it in verses 12 and 13. He does it in verses 15 and 16. Here's what he says. Not this, but this. See, when it comes to suffering, this is not what you do. This is what you do. Because what is 1 Peter all about? It's all about you being countercultural. It's all about you being different. Not odd different. God different. It's different, and the world looks at you, and they think you're crazy, but you're really sane, and you want to show them the difference. And, and in our text, look at the parallelism. 
We suffer, he says in verse 14, for the name of Christ. Exact same phrase, but he changes the ending. We also suffer, verse 16, as Christians. So when you are living your life as a Christian, you know what it is? You are living for the name of Christ. You are trying, listen, to portray who he is in every relationship you have. In your house, with your spouse, with your children, with your coworkers, with your family. When people like it, when people don't like it. When it is good and when it's fearful and risky. Here's what he's saying. You are a Christian. And you know what little Christ do? They're trying to de- demonstrate and emulate Jesus in every aspect of their life. Because they know this. The platform to talk to lost people about Jesus is a life that talks first. And he says to us, listen, you know what it is? It's for the name. Look at verse 14 and 16. For the name. Verse 16. In the name It's the name of Jesus. I read an article this week about people who were calling themselves Christians but don't. And the article said this. They are changing their mind. And when asked, are you a Christian, like I asked you today, they are saying no. But they are still holding on to the beliefs of being a Christian. But they don't want to call themselves that. And here's what the article said, why that's true. Listen, the cultural cost of being a Christian starts to outweigh the cultural benefit of being a Christian. Do you hear what it says? In other words, they would be a Christian so long as it doesn't really cost them any serious things. In other words, I'm a Christian, I believe the Christian things, but I'm not going to do it or say that I am if the benefit of being a Christian stops being higher than that. So if I have to say this, oh, if I have to stand up for being a Christian and I might lose my job, I'm not saying it. If I have to say I'm a Christian and live as a Christian and speak as a Christian and I lose friends over it, I'm not saying that then. I'm not going to do it. If people don't like me and I lose a promotion and I, it may be a financial crunch and if someone's seeing those things and if people ostracize me, I'm not holding on to the name. Peter knows what Christian means. 20 years later, he knows what people think of Christians and what they should be like. And so here's what he tells his people. You do not suffer this way. You're not a murderer. You're not a thief. You're not a meddler. You don't get into people's affairs. See, the world around you, that's why they get in trouble. That's why they get arrested. But that's not you. Because we are socially countercultural. See, people get in trouble in our culture because of how they live. Why? Because their identity is not Jesus, so they murder and they steal. Because remember, who you are shapes what you do. But remember, he tells his readers, this is who we are. We are Christians, and they know it. So if you're going to get in trouble, he says, this is what you do. You get in suffer. You get in trouble for being a sufferer for Jesus. Here's what he'd say. You suffer for Jesus because you suffer like Jesus, right? He says we're different. We're not murderers. We don't steal. We don't lie. We're not known for that. Here's what we are known for. We live out the values of Jesus. And then he adds this on, crucial, ready? And don't be ashamed of it. See, they lived in a shame and honor culture where everybody's values and morals says this is what's mattering. If you don't have this, or you do have this, that could mean shame. And and shame was a huge thing. We live in a right and wrong culture, and that's the difference. But for them, you could be doing the right thing, and if it was shameful, they wouldn't do it. 
And here's what he's saying. You're a Christian, so you don't talk like them, act like them, live like them. And when you get arrested because you stand up for Jesus and you say, I don't believe in that. I believe in purity. I believe in morality. I believe in this. And you get arrested for it or you suffer for it or you lose things for it. Don't you dare for a moment be ashamed because it is the greatest honor you could ever have because it's exactly what Jesus did for you. Christian, Peter knew what it meant and he knew what everyone in his culture thought about what it meant. And he says, if we're going to have the name, let's live it out. See, there might be some this morning and you're here, Christian. Oh, you're a Christian, but you're not going to tell anybody. Oh, you're a Christian until, and you fill in the blank, until it costs you this, or it might be this, or someone might not like See, I want to be a Christian, but the group is, by the way, that drops the name, they're called nuns. N-O-N-E-S. They don't really have a religion because they want to hide it. In our world, we need Christians who will live up to the name, who will live out the name. That's where the difference begins. That's our mission So let me ask you one more time. Are you a Christian? Let's pray. With every every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, are you a Christian like that? Oh, Pastor Walker, I'd never become a nun. I'd never drop the name. But do you just do it anyways every day? It's not a choice, but maybe that's how you live your life. Oh, I'm a Christian, but I don't think anyone would know it. And I can tell you, I don't think anybody would accuse me of it. Paul was accused of it. Everybody knew it. His life was so countercultural, so different. Oh, we're just so afraid of that. Can I tell you this? You can trust the Master. He'll take care of all the consequences, all the results of you loving him supremely. He will. Perhaps you're here this morning and you bear the name Christian. You claim to be a disciple, but you'd have to be honest as you look into your heart and mind this morning and say, Pastor Walker, I don't know if anybody else would say that. And I'll have to admit It's probably been a long time, a long time since I told anyone about Jesus or anyone asked me about Jesus. And I'd have to say, I don't remember even if I've ever even reached someone with the gospel before. Can I challenge you this morning? Let it start with your changed life. Your changed life. Because changed lives change lives. Pastor Walker, here's my hand. No one looking. Pray for me. Help me to live a changed life so Jesus can use me to change lives. Would you raise your hand and I'll pray for you as we close today? All over. Thank you. Thank you all over. If you're here this morning and you would say this, Pastor Walker, I'm here because I'm really investigating Christianity. (laughs) 
I'm not sure what it's all about. I mean, I have my idea of what a Christian is, but if it's by the people I look at, perhaps other places, I'm not too sure I'm interested. Can I tell you, keep coming to faith. We're not all perfect, and we're all sinners saved by grace. There's no doubt about it. But we're striving to be different. Gospel different. God different. Individually and together Come and take a look at our lives and what Jesus is doing in us and through us right here in this community and see if you can see the difference. Would you do that for a few weeks and ask God what he might show you through it? Father, we're on mission with you. And it starts in here. Oh, Lord, truthfully, we need to get crazy. Paul was crazy, they thought. Oh, we're crazy fans of our football teams, crazy about this sale that's happening, crazy about parties and Christmas coming up, and we're crazy about a lot of things, but Lord, help us to be crazy about Christ, crazy for him, intoxicated with him, saturated with him, dominated by him, and may it make a difference in the lives of those who see and hear us. From the nations, O Lord, for your glory alone, we ask for Christ's sake. Amen.